Hello and welcome. Hi. We have a guest tonight. I'm very excited for this. Angie, do you want to give the intro? Yeah. So today with us, we have Kristen Sanchez, the most amazing therapist in the entire world. Just full disclosure, she is mine and has <laughs> for 10 years. So I have a little bit of a bias, I guess, but she does help me through lots and lots of things. I'm a huge proponent of talk therapy. So Kristen, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and your practice? Um, Okay. I am Kristen Sanchez. I am a private practice mental health therapist. I work primarily with people in the perinatal period or people experiencing sexual health issues, Um, typically low desire or mismatched desire. Awesome. So today we're going to talk about kind of the the feelings around the mental load and then also how that impacts relationship in different ways. So starting out, Kristen, what do you feel like, when do you feel like couples are typically heading your way? What? Did we forget to do like oh, our shirt? Oh, we forgot to do that. Okay. Good thing. Caitlin <laughs> is also super good at editing. <laughs> I was like, oh, we're just jumping right in. We're just jumping right in. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to – I'm going to take a breath. we'll just like rewind. Nope. I'm going to take a breath and then I'm going to (laughs) do pits and peaches. Pits and peaches. Pits and peaches. All right. So let's move into pits and peaches. Caitlin, why don't you go first? Um, okay. Well, I will say I don't really feel like I have much of a pit today. It feels like it's been kind of an even keel, like couple of days and I will, I will take that. We were a little busy. I guess I was like back to back practices is kind of, um, chaotic, but my peach, um, is that, the like intro episode of this podcast like got up and live like I w- I've been obsessively checking for it and at like three it was not live and at five it was so I'm like very excited about that that felt like a big pep in my step this evening totally how about you um, I would say my pits is I just had a busy morning. I had a telehealth appointment with one of my doctors, and then I had to go get x-rays, and then I had to get to work really quickly. And so my morning was just really rushed. I don't like starting my mornings off rushed. Um, but then my peaches is the rest of the day went super, super well at work. Um, I solved problems. <laughs> I wrote a new <laughs> procedure, which is super fun. Um, but yeah, it was just a really like like easy day at work while I was just doing my stuff and it felt like there were no fires, which is always good. Mm-hmm. What about you, Kristen? Man, I was sitting there thinking about that the whole time and I'm like, I don't know. So let's see. <laughs> it's his, I'm guessing, kind of the low part of the day or the... Right. Okay. Um I don't know, man. It was a pretty good day. I'll, I'll just kind of lead. Maybe I'll come back to that. The peach would be, it was a pretty good day. Pretty easy going. Everybody did what they were supposed to do mm-hmm. in the morning. Everybody got where they were supposed to be. I got where I needed to be. Everything just flowed the way it's supposed to. And man, those are just good days. Yeah. That's <laughs> nice when the universe aligns. So I think uh, I'll just lead into that for today and just enjoy my peach because I know I have plenty of days that are a little bit more just pit. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that. Definitely. Um, Spitfire story. We were talking about this 
just before we got on. And one of my favorite like phases, it was really just a Caroline phase, but it was like a great joy to like witness. (laughs) And I secretly egged it on every single morning. You did. My favorite, my favorite is her red high heel phase. She wore these like, um, were they open toe or were they like more? No. Yeah. They were full open toe, like 1990s, like inch and a half heel. Red. Uh, Red. Patent heels. Yes. (laughs) Hat strap over them. And she literally wore them everywhere. Everywhere. Regardless of the season. Yeah. I mean, at one point it was very cold and she was wearing them with like mismatched socks and I would walk <laughs> in and I'd be like, oh my gosh, Caroline, love it today, <laughs> which I'm sure just like, I'm just, I don't know. In my head, I like to take credit for her like waking up the next morning and being like, Caitlin said she really thought these were awesome. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm definitely continuing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by like the third kid, you're just so over like yeah. what what the daycare teacher thinks of your child going in dressed. And so she would wear pajamas with her red high heels and she would wear socks with her red high heels and she would run in her red high heels. Oh, yeah. She wore them for like, I think the second half of the summer into like, it was well into the cold part of fall. And yeah. I, it's one of my favorite, like, dressing phases the other was when um Fiona did her hair every morning (laughs) yes that was another fan fave with several barrettes (laughs) lots of them (laughs) lots and lots of barrettes (laughs) she does her hair every morning now and she's actually very good at it she can do her own pigtails wow that are even that is really that is genuinely impressive nor does not do her hair yet they traded they traded scrunchies at dance the other well not traded because Nora doesn't ever have scrunchies but Caroline came in with three and she let Nora wear a pink one for a little while through dance class on her ankle and then Caroline's like I need that back and then there was a negotiation between <laughs> Nora was like, well, can I have one to borrow? I mean, I assume these all come back at some point. Yeah. And Caroline was like, well, not my pink one because I only have like 15 of these. I'm exaggerating the number, but okay. it was more than one. <laughs> She's like, you can have my black one. But Nora was super stoked to like take that black scrunchie home for the, the <laughs> until their next play date. Did any of your kids have a fun face, Kristen? Oh, God, all of them did. When you were talking about that, I was thinking about how Becca used to always, like the toddler and Tierra phase, right? Where they're like walking around in swimsuits everywhere with some version of a crown. And again, for us, it was the princess high heels, the the clump, clump, clump ones that you can get at Walmart or Target. But it was everywhere, anytime. Like you said, middle of winter, they'll be wearing pajamas and then put the swimsuit on over the pajamas. <laughs> but like you said, child number three, who cares? We go to the Walmart wearing our pajamas. We don't care. We're yes. just happy we're dressed. Right. Exactly. You have pants on. Your bum is covered. I am happy. <laughs> That's awesome. Fantastic. What's your partner braids this week? So my partner praise is it was absolutely beautiful out today. And so Jesse made it 
clear that we were grilling tonight. Like I didn't need to worry about supper, which also is a bonus when I don't have to worry about supper. Um, but then like he like stayed out there and mowed the lawn. And so naturally me and the kids then stayed out there and it was just nice to have just like our nuclear family. There was no friends over because usually we're the house. Um, and so it was just nice to spend time. We played soccer. We played this new game, um, called river crocodile, which was really, really cute. Cause all the kids like understood the concept. Nice. Yeah. It was, it was just a fun, fun day. I love that. It was a really nice night out. It was very beautiful. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, so my partner praise is that despite the fact that Eric had to leave at 530 this morning for a flight, um, obviously he like was close to home because he was home this evening, but he like walked in about 530-ish, maybe a little earlier, and like still took on the 6 to 8 p.m. baseball practice, which was much appreciated. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. What about you, Kristen? <sighs> Let's see. I would say we've had some conflict with my husband and one of my kids recently and just normal parent-child stuff. But what I've noticed is the ways that he's, like, been coming to me as a partner to kind of help navigate some of that, you know, kind of coming to me as an equal of, like, you know, how can we approach this? How can I approach this with a gentle, loving, but firm fatherly kind of approach and it just I don't know it was very impressive to me and it made me feel very cared for it made me feel like he was trying to even out at the some of that load some of that you know balance of it again he's still kind of stepping into the role so he's still kind of learning it and whatnot and he's definitely worried about overstepping so it's kind of trying to balance that and trying to I mean just it's a lot of balancing and a lot of juggling so I guess I've just been really appreciating them the way I've been seeing it being pulled off and how much it does really take off of my plate. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I love that. All right. So today we are kind of diving into the um, feelings piece of the mental load, how it affects partners, men, women, and their relationship um, in an emotional way, but then also in the physical sense. So Kristen, um, being a couples therapist, when do you find is most typical that partner that couples are seeking your help? Do you find that it's early on? Do you feel like it's when they're at their breaking point? Tell us a little bit more about what that looks like. Now, that's a great question. I'd say it's usually somewhere around breaking point. Um, sometimes it's a little bit before. It's like they feel that you know freight train coming and they're trying to kind of slow it down. Most of the time, it's after something has happened, some really bad fight, something escalated more than they were really comfortable with. So that's usually kind of the the thing that pushes people over with typical couples counseling. Now, I would actually say with sex counseling, with sex therapy, I actually see it a little bit different. I do see that one being more, um, it's not it's not as urgent. I don't see that one being as like, it's more of that slow burn. It's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of yucky, but it's been kind of yucky for a long time kind of thing. It doesn't have that urgent to it, which is actually a lot more fun to be able to slow that temple down and to kind of not just be putting out fires, but to be really kind of like building skills in with it. So very yeah, cool. I'd say usually too late or not too late, but like wished it had been earlier in the process and we would have saved a lot of energy. 
Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So do you, what do you find um, specifically that men in the relationship are feeling when in couples therapy, as far as the mental load? You know, men tend to, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to speak very generally and I want to be very clear. These can always flip flop with my couples. Yes. I, it's going to be some extremes here and there, but with in general, they feel erased. They feel that they are erased from their family. They feel that they're, you know, they're only the provider. They are only the, the, um, the do-gooder, the, the, per, the, the right-hand man. They don't feel like they have an important place. And depending on the level of health, they can, they can absolutely feel that they are completely erased from their family. That is so interesting. And they want, and you would say that it, from a general sense that all of these men like are fully engaged and want to be involved yes, and all of that. Absolutely. And they are like, I want to be clear. These are the dads. They're at soccer practices. These are the dads who are coaching teams. But when it comes to actually making decisions in the lives, they feel erased. They feel that they don't have a significant voice. That's super interesting. And then what about women? They feel the opposite, right? They feel they have too much of a voice. They feel overburdened by it. They feel that they have to decide too many things. It's, it's too much. Why can't he do more? So how do you like reconcile that conversational? I mean, that's like a huge question, but I feel like it's interesting because we, my husband and I literally had this conversation like a couple weekends ago where like I had made plans like we had sports activities and then they got canceled and um, he was like, well, I'm going to go fishing. And I was like, all right, well, the kids then like they're going to go to friends' houses because they've been asking and like now we don't have it. And I just like plopped him over there without like checking in because in my mind I was like, well, we're all just sort of like mm -hmm. it's a Saturday. We got no real plans. So I was like, no big deal. And he was like, you didn't even like ask you just went and like did so, like nobody wanted to hang out with me and I was like I didn't even know you wanted to be hung out with like I thought you just wanted to go fishing by yourself and so you know like and then he, he kind of brought up like later on I was like I I mean I picked up on it because I was kind of getting the cold shoulder and I'm like what's going on and he was like I mean like you always just sort of make plans and don't ever really like consult me on them. And it makes me feel, you know, he was like, makes me feel like I'm not really like part of this. And so I thought it was interesting because I was like, oh, I feel like you always sort of like kind of like move agnostically sometimes, like not in a malicious way, but just like you've got your stuff in your things. Mm -hmm. And it's like rare that like you check in to be like, hey, I'm going to go whatever, whatever tonight. It's more of a like, hey, I'm letting you know I'm going to go do it, less like asking. And so I was like, oh, I didn't think it was a big deal if I like did that too. But it kind of is. <laughs> And that's like what you're describing right there is literally how I work through that with couples. It's it's like he kind of shares that. And I usually will say something like, that, like, wow, did you know that? Right. And then she's usually like, I had no, like literally what you said. I had no idea. And then I you know kind of let them foster that dialogue for just a little bit. Then I kind of stop and then I explain some of this because they start to kind of start to feel bad. They're right. like, oh, I'm, I'm a bad wife. I'm a bad husband. It's like, no, 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 no. You were set up this way. This is how the system works. This is not, you're not special here. <laughs> okay that you fell into this, right? And just kind of normalize it and help them understand how they got there. And then through the series of time, start to kind of walk them away from that and help them build new stuff. Yeah. 
That's really interesting that it's like, it's very common because I feel like we also sit around being like, well, if you want to do more, do it, do it. (laughs) (laughs) Would love that. Plan the play dates. I don't care. But the thing is you do. Do I? Because it has to be done a certain way. It has to be with a certain crowd. Like not necessarily you, right? But there usually right. is some some list of stuff about the things that he is clueless on. And mm-hmm. so we say, like I say, I you know, just load the dishes. I don't care. But then like if he does it really like there's food all over it. And like, no, I do care. I need you to do it competently. And there is a list involved in it. And they don't always know the secret sauce as to what that is. So is that, because this is like, I think we've talked about this concept a little bit, like this idea of like maternal gatekeeping, where it's like, I tell you to clean up the kitchen after dinner, but then like, you know, maybe you do like, you load the dishwasher and maybe put the leftovers away, but like you didn't wipe down the stove or the counters or like any of the other stuff. And so like, there's a certain aspect of like, I want you to do it, but I want you to do it my way. Mm-hmm. But then, and in some cases, it's justified, I feel like sometimes. And in other cases, it's like, well, you just got to, I mean, maybe it doesn't matter how the dishwasher gets loaded so long as it gets loaded. I don't know. How do you, like, how do you make that distinction? Because I feel like that, I feel like I'm always kind of walking that fine line between mm-hmm. like knowing when it's like, okay, for real though, you you can't do it that way. <laughs> like I need you to, <laughs> I need you to do X, Y, and Z for the kids this way because like that's just the way it has to get done versus, all right, like cool it. Maybe, maybe you can lighten up on that other thing. Like you can bifold that towel instead of trifold it. Yes. You can, you can absolutely just stuff it in wherever it fits in the linen closet. And I actually think that's a really great question because it all goes down to what was I taught? What were you taught? What is reality? And what do we want to do? And so Mm -hmm. it really is lots and lots and lots of conversations. Some of these things it's like you didn't even know was weird and how my family did it that other families don't do it that way. And so we tend to just fall into these patterns of no, you have to, you know, scrub everything down before you put it in the dishwasher. Or no, you can literally do nothing with it and put it in the dishwasher. And the other one is weird. Neither necessarily is right or wrong depending on what issues you might have with it. So it's just kind of having a lot of conversations and really deciding what is our preference. Like what do we decide is the rule about the dishwasher? What do we decide? And obviously you don't want to do it on every single issue in a house unless over a lifetime you do. I was just I was just thinking that actually. Like and that's what you learn. It's like as you know, as your kids get a little bit older, you find I don't care about any of this anymore, but now I care about this. So now it's it's almost like having a renegotiation. And sometimes I literally say every five years, sit down, have a renegotiation of what your relationship rules are, what your agreements are, what are your household chores? How do you, what is the standard of care on certain things? Mm, that makes sense. With our, so uh, we had a guest last week um, who talked about creating like a vision board for the relationship and like the relationship like goals and values and stuff like that and then basing those decisions on that which like I'm still completely obsessed with the idea Mm -hmm. um 
and so like I hear that like very natural like mirroring with what you're saying Mm -hmm. on like you have to decide this together it's not just a and like ultimately you may decide oh yeah like your way totally makes sense like let's do it that way but at the end of the day that's still the the partners deciding together how to navigate these things so when so when these types of things come up like how how do you suggest couples go about these types of conversations? Because they certainly can be emotionally driven. Mm-hmm. Um, they also can be kind of hard, too, because Jesse had no idea that he was holding towels wrong his whole life <laughs> until I told him he was. And so, like, it's like, then they're suddenly defensive and vice versa. It goes both ways. Jesse will tell me something and I'm immediately defensive. And so how, how do you suggest couples go about these conversations? Well, and I think it's, it's admitting we didn't know how to do this before, right? Like, Hey, we've been married 10 years, but we never figured out how to do this. So we've been kind of having conflict over this, the towel thing. And what if we just, again, just sit and talk for two minutes about what is our preferred method? It's just calling out a spade saying this has just not been a great way of handling it. Sometimes the time of transition can be my favorite time. So like a mom's going back to work after having a baby. Hey, now that I'm going back to work, mm-hmm. let's talk about blah, blah, blah. Cause it's a very natural transition of it's okay that we did it this way before, but now that we're kind of in this season, I need us to renegotiate that agreement. I need us to look at that differently. So it's kind of just kind of recognizing we just need to do it, calling it out and trying to just do it as calmly as just and kind of looking at this like there's no blame here. There's no shame here. I I created this problem just as much as you did. There was a dance and I agreed to it or I demanded it and we created this. Now we just have to uncreate it. I'm not mad at you about it. We just need to figure out how to, you know, right the ship. How do you like so when when you have that conversation how then do you like hold each other accountable to it, right? Because that's happened a couple of times in our house. Like I always say that we have like this one annual like argument, (laughs) like where it's like a big one, you know, it's like the big argument of the year. It's not at the same time every year. So, (laughs) you know, we do vary it that way. Um, (laughs) I like to mix it up. Keep it yeah, we do mix it up seasonally, but it's always <laughs> about the same thing, right? And it's like, it's this conversation. It's basically like, I need you to do more. Well, and we've moved past around like version 2.0, where now I don't get then just ask for help. Now it's what you're saying, like, okay, let's have a conversation. Let's figure out what's not working. Let's figure out a new way. And like in the conversation, it's a we, right? Um So you're really frustrated that I haven't been helping with bedtime. Like, let's talk about that. We Maybe let's have like more of a structured nighttime routine and how can we do that? And it's like brainstorming and everybody's on board. We're good. And then, you know, like the last time I mentioned, but if I don't like remember this and hold us to it, it's not going to happen. And that like quickly derailed all the progress we had made. (laughs) So I walked that back and then that happened, you know? And so then it's like, how do you coach people through that? Like, I'm going to call it like accountability and that like shift in it. So like we've renegotiated and said, like, I'm going to be a little less 
extra about it and you're going to be a little bit more, but then like, it's not happening without more tension. And I'd probably say at its root, you guys just don't care enough about it. It doesn't cause enough conflict. It's not a big enough. When you look at all the other things in life that are, I've got 10 fires to put out today and this is number 11. I care about it. Just not enough. And there will come a day that you do care enough and kind of already having that outline. It's almost like, okay, remember what our plan was? Does it still work? Let's launch it, right? Sometimes you can kind of shorten that span. But at its core, it's probably that. That said, there are a few other things that can go wrong in that. I always like to look back at like, how did the negotiation process actually go? Was it me saying all of the ideas and him saying, oh yeah, that's a good idea and and meaning it sincerely, but not necessarily contributing anything from his own side of it. That's usually one of the things that leads to not follow through because mm-hmm. the sense of like, I agreed to it and I, I thought it was an okay plan, but I'm not necessarily invested in it. So if only one of you is really invested in it, that can kind of lead to that too. But it's also, or if you, as you're kind of going through that, if it gets a little off in the execution on the low level spots, right? Like the bedtime routine, but maybe, you know, you're supposed to do this one thing and you didn't do that. So then he didn't think he was supposed to do this thing. And it's like somehow the dance just gets off and you don't realize it till it's too far off. So there's a few little troubleshooty things that I would look through with a couple first. And I'd kind of be looking for, okay, are any of these kind of pitfalls getting in there? But more times than not, the take home message is, you know what? It's just going to be one of those things we just fight about. About once a year, we get into a good old-fashioned fight about this. And we do a little better and we're a little bit more mindful. But over time, we don't care enough to hold the boundaries. So we let them slide. Hey, it's Caitlin. In November of 22, I started working with Marcus at Thriving Lives Fitness. After three kids, I just wanted my clothes to fit better. And I wanted to feel confident in my own skin. What I love about working with Marcus is that he treats me as a whole person. He doesn't just give me meal plans and workouts to follow each week. He asks about things like my stress, my digestion, and my sleep, all things that impact my fitness. Yes, my clothes fit better after a few months of working with him because I've certainly lost weight, but more importantly, I feel like I've created a healthy lifestyle that can support my family and I long-term. I do earn affiliate commission when you sign up with Marcus, but as you know, we don't have paid sponsors. I do earn affiliate commission when you sign up with Marcus, but as you know, we don't have paid sponsors or advertisers for the mental load. So this is a very special recommendation because I truly and genuinely love working with him and recommending him because his program is legit. So if you are ready to make a change in your life and fitness, I cannot recommend Marcus at Thriving Lives Fitness enough. Hey, it's Caitlin here with a quick break in the real talk to shout out some of me and Angie's favorite places and people. We don't actually have show sponsors or paid advertisers for the mental load, but we have a bunch of support from like-minded mom-owned businesses that we want you to know about, as well as some of our favorite programs and products we think you might like. If you're a mama in the Papillion area looking for childcare, Angie and I both love Our House Children's Learning Center. It's where our Spitfire little daughters became besties, so it holds a special place in our heart. All of our kids have gone there, and we love it because the teachers foster a fun learning environment with a homey, family-style feel. 
I like that the teachers know my kids and can give me a full rundown at the end of the day and that they support and mirror things that we're working on at home. It makes childcare feel like an extension of our families. Plus, it's high quality, affordable childcare. Schedule a visit by reaching out on Facebook at Our House Children's Learning Center. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So on that same, so the the annual argument for us <laughs> is more of like this accountability thing, but it's like when you don't hold yourself accountable, it makes me trust you less. So therefore you taking anything off my plate isn't actually off my plate because I still have to be there to monitor and make sure there is follow through because of your track records. So how, how should the, so how should, in my case, me, Mm -hmm. but in other couples, the, that person who's having this issue of like, you're not getting, you're not getting it. How do they kind of reconcile that trust issue? Is it just throwing it out into the universe? And I wish, I I wish it was that easy, but it's really just kind of going to recent history. It's really kind of holding yourself to that fact of like, okay, I've been married to this person for 15 years. Yes, in the first five or 10, he was really crummy about this. But over the last five, again, if I look at his trajectory, he has gotten so much better. Room for error, sure, but so much better. So I kind of factor in all that stuff within it as part of it as you're going. And then what was the, what was the rest of the question? It's just like, how do how, how do I reconcile with the fact that now, due to a track record of little follow through, how how do I get past that? Is it just something that like that's just who he is and take that thirty thousand foot view and like, okay, yeah, we have been married twelve years, and his cheese his cheese strip wrapper thing is, is on the counter less often, but it's still there a lot. Okay. So, so that's where I was going with that. So back to the, like, so you kind of look at like, okay, how much of this is just lies that I'm telling myself about our history and what is really happening here. So you kind of reorient to the here and now to make sure you're just getting a good, accurate perspective. But then from there, you really challenge that good, accurate perspective. No, I really kind of need to hold him more accountable. He needs to step up on this thing, this thing I just need a little bit better on. So I'm going to go into that negotiation, but I'm going to be willing to kind of think to the like, but maybe I need to really cut him slack on this other one. You know, this one, I don't really care. So how can, again, how can we wiggle this? If I only need him to excel in one area. And again, this sounds like we're training him. That's not what I mean at all. But <laughs> right. kind of, like as you're trying to kind of lean into this forgiveness thing, first make sure he's worthy of it in the sense of, is he actually following through now? If he's not following through now, how come? Is it because my expectations are too high? Is it because of some sort of a you know weaponized incompetence? Is it some sort of a communication error? kind of pulling out all of those parts and trying to kind of figure out what's happening there. And then you can ask yourself, what do I do next? What to, after all of that, you kind of deciding, yep, I'm ready to kind of start the trust process again. Then you start doing small things and you say that to him. I am working on, you know, securing trust. So I need you to only agree to something. If you are 100% sure you can do it. If you are not that, then you need to say, I am 99% sure, but at least then I know to calculate my trust a little. And then you get more and more and more of those. You make them bigger versions of it. You finally, you know, do something big and he steps up and he manages it. But you do have to always kind of keep that room for error. 
I don't care how good he is. He's a human. He will get these things wrong too. And you have to make sure you're not holding him to too high of a standard too. So kind of, again, I can forgive him if I'm seeing the improvement and I see the sense of he is keeping his word. He is doing what he says. We're getting to a place where he's following through. So then I have to change my worldview and recognize he is doing it. I do like that, like just kind of changing the lens and taking a step back to really evaluate versus the emotional here and now. Because I definitely and the emotional here and now. <laughs> and so go ahead, Caitlin. I so like I'm I'm listening to it and I feel like there is such a component of and and I feel like we've talked about this now with every single guest we've had on, which is like this component of like some grace and just kind of remembering that they are, we are in a partnership and we are generally in it, like if we are looking for support, generally like we want to give that to each other as partners. And so I think like remembering, and that's so hard when you're like, but here's like this list of things that I could come up with of, you know shit that annoys me about you. (laughs) You know, you've got to recognize that like, you know, your roses smell too. So, um, well, and I like what you were saying about the, sorry to cut over, but giving grace, but holding accountable for myself too. Like sometimes I can get into the, Oh, it's okay, girl. You did your best to myself. And then it's like, nah, man, you got to do a little bit better on that. You were a little bit too much on that. I have to give grace and accountability to me, to him, to the kids, to everybody. Mm-hmm. How, what is sort of the reception when, or like, what is kind of that moment of realization of like on the mothering side of things when it's kind of that moment of like, oh yeah, it's not just him, you know, like there is a component of like, sometimes I need to let some of that shit go. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I expect it to get done my way, but it's not required to be done my way. There is in fact multiple ways to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I can just be fine with however he chooses to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or however he chooses to like do, you know, whatever, something more significant, um, schedule out doctor's appointments or however, you know, I view it. What is that moment like on the other side of the fence? Because I feel like sometimes we come in hot where we're like, oh boy, I've got this list for you. I, so I think I understand what you're saying. So like when, when the, the mom comes in and she's like, okay, my husband has to change all the things. And then mm-hmm. maybe about session three, she realizes, uh-oh, it's me. I'm the problem, at least with some of this. I <laughs> kind of work on my side. That one's usually, it's actually usually a rough session, to be honest, because I usually the mom feels a little betrayed by me. Mm-hmm. She's like, you're, you're a mom. You're my sister. You're supposed to kind of see this the way I do. Mm-hmm. And that's usually where I say, I do. And that's why I'm saying this, because this is a brutal truth that I didn't want to hear either. Mm -hmm. I really had to hold myself accountable for how much I don't allow you to step in and do these things. Sometimes for great reasons, sometimes for not so great reasons. But regardless, I do not. 
And when I realized that, oh man, it was a real, you know, moment. And I see that with my clients too. It's just rough. And some of them quit after that session. They don't want to face that truth. They're not ready for it. Mm-hmm. Over the years, I've gotten better at kind of how to soften that, how to walk them through that. I do a lot of normalizing of it. Again, it's that sense of, yep, every single mother who's ever mothered has probably done this thing. You're not special in this. It's just the thing that we do. Again, I love the the maternal gatekeeping as a way of bringing that in because it's like, we even have a name for this thing, right? And it's yeah. like, we have it for a reason. This is a valid thing that we have to face as moms. So of course we do this and it's not fair and we need to work on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see it being like a very tough pill to swallow to mm-hmm. and and I think we I think we actually talked about this in like our gender programming episode where like the reason it's so difficult is because like we were taught that our value and worth comes from like the home we keep and the kids we raise and so of course like mm-hmm. yeah you're right my way is the better way when like I have been told my whole life that it's my responsibility. Like why should your way be better when like you haven't had to bear the burden of any of this up until this point? Yes. That's such an excellent point. So what do you see from a phys- – like how does the mental load physically affect couples? I think we all know. The- I think we all know the answer. But it's exactly what you would assume. And kind of going back to what I was saying before, where this actually can go a couple different ways. And it's really kind of fun to kind of watch to see how it manifests differently. But like one of my favorite ways that a lot of people don't see is let's go back to that husband who's been erasing himself, right? He loses his sex drive. He does not feel like he is even like important enough to demand that. He loses a lot of that masculinity. Whatever that thing is for Mm -hmm. him, he has given up a lot of that. Again, some of that's wonderful. There's some really beautiful fathers in that energy. But for somebody to have lost it versus, you know, sacrificed this, it tends to make them feel very much not the person that they want to be. And that means that they cannot connect sexually with their wife the way that they want to. A lot of times I see erectile dysfunction as a result of this. I, in my, my personal, and I don't know if this is related to any study ever, but my personal belief is like, you erased yourself so much, now your penis doesn't even work, right? Like it's just this basic kind of premise, right? And so then it's just, you know, on the flip side, just kind of speed ahead a little, then it's just helping him unerase himself, starting to advocate for himself in ways that matter. You know, to really say this this particular thing matters a lot to me. Can you help me hold that boundary with the kids? And again, helping the wife realize this matters and kind of walking through. And of course, once she realizes, of course she wants to, but so that's one of the ways that this kind of manifests, at least on his side. Hmm. Any questions on that one before I jump to her side? I, I just think that's super interesting. I, I guess I never realized that like there could be a lower sex drive because of the mental load and that erasure of, of individuality. I just think that's super interesting. Yeah. It's something that I I expect like only from a woman's perspective to be like, you know, like, because in like, just anecdotally, like in my own circle of friends, that's always the way that it is. It's always like, he doesn't understand and why I don't want to do it 500 times a week. And mm-hmm. we're like, well, yeah, but here's this, you know, 
there's this long list of things that I can't stop thinking about. And, you know, so I've never actually like considered it from like the man's perspective. The male perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you were saying, the exact reason that does exist, and again, that's a very, like, that's the extremes, right? But I like to talk right. extreme because it makes it very character. But on the her side, right, she is spending every single ounce of energy she has worrying about everything, probably even stuff that doesn't matter, right? Like she is absolutely spending, like hemorrhaging energy everywhere. So of course, the last thing that she has energy for is anything else that's going to put one iota of demand upon her. And so Mm -hmm. she is like, I can't, the kids, I can't, the kids, I spend all of my energy on the kids. What message does he receive? Oh, the kids matter. And of course they do. And he agrees with that, Mm -hmm. but I don't. My needs don't matter. And it's that sense that they're okay with that in the beginning, right? Oh, she just had a baby, right? But then fast forward that and assume we don't course correct that. Or, hey, let's throw in another kid and another kid and another kid, right? Like, wow, how much more and more and more, or should I say less and less and less, important does he feel with that in this kind of a stereotype? She is, again, the opposite. More demand. I'm so tired. I have nothing more to give. Why on earth would somebody who loves me demand one more thing from me? Oh, it's so heartbreaking to see because they both care so much and they're both struggling so much. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, all I want to do is just kind of like, oh, all we got to do is just shake the balance a little bit and then we're done. But it takes so much time to help people understand that concept because it's yeah. hard. Yeah. I remember before we had our second, I like, this conversation is burned into my brain. We were sitting outside on our patio eating. It was like after dinner and we were watching our son like who was, you know, about two and a half at the time, just like run around and I was super pregnant. And I remember saying to my husband, like, I am, I am a little bit worried like about us. You know, I was like, think about how much has like of our relationship has shrunk to make space for him who we love and like we adore and obviously we've decided to have more. And I was like, and now we're going to sort of like double that. And I was like, kind of like internally like panicking. And I remember he was like, nah, not worried about that at all. And like totally was just like moving on. And I was like, okay. I mean, like not even a little. And he was like, nope. I feel real good about us, which at the time I was like, oh, so sweet. And then like, (laughs) sometimes I wonder if he also remembers that conversation is like, hmm, (laughs) now that I like hindsight, right? maybe we should have like talked through that just maybe like for five minutes. (laughs) It's so true. Because I mean, relationships are so complicated without adding any additional stressors. Like, of course, everybody has their honeymoon phase. And that can be of varying lengths depending on, like, the outside stressors. But when you have children, it just, I mean, it just tenfolds adds. And what I have kind of been working through here recently is we are we're done having kids And so when Warren, our last, was at the age where I would normally be getting pregnant, I was having this, like, crisis of, like, I don't know who I am. Like, 
I've been pregnant and or breastfeeding for 10 years. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know what to do with my spouse. I don't know what to do with my body. I don't know what to do. Like, I have this, like, giant, like, identity. I'm I'm sure Kristen's like, yep, yep, I was there for that. I was there for that. (laughs) And so it's, like, this super interesting piece of, like, going through all of these things, but then, like, having a minute to breathe and doing some self-reflecting. And, like, that feels like a very natural time to go back to that couple's vision board Mm -hmm. um, and do some of that renegotiating and stuff like that. And so I feel like that's really the work that Jesse and I have been putting into the last probably year or so, since Warren's three now, and just kind of figuring out, like, what our relationship looks like with elementary kids and mm-hmm. toddlerhood kind of getting out of the way. I'm not holding children while I cook anymore, but the kids are still da 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 So <laughs> that kind of like mental load relief looks a whole lot different. It's still the same concept, but it looks different. And so having those conversations about how the mental load changes and then how our response to it has to change, I think is just vital to the longevity of the relationship in general. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's like I said, times of transition are the best time to be able to have these. We're in a new season. We get to do this different now. What we used to do made sense then. We're ready for change. We're excited for change. It's one of my most favorite times when people do come in for couples therapy with that. A lot of times I get that. We're out of the baby years. We want to bring back our spark. We miss our relationship. And again, that's like, that's the fun parts of like the sex therapy. I don't get as much of that in regular couples therapy. Sex, what I often say is since I started doing sex therapy, I have had more men reach out for therapy than I have ever seen before. And I want to remind, like I did perinatal work. So we had a lot of men reaching out for their wives. It was very common, but now it's like, no, they come, they're excited to do the work. They're invigorated because for the first time, like you were saying, Angie, in maybe 10 years, their wife is actually wanting to explore this again. She just doesn't know how to get there yet. And once I just kind of start educating them on what has probably transpired and what their brains did with it and how to shift it moving on, it's really exciting to see the way that the things just start kind of falling back in line and people do really find themselves again. It's a very, it's, it's a very exciting, beautiful part of the season. So it's absolutely doable. It just takes that intentionality. I love just to add the one last thing of what you were saying about the, the, the vision board. Yes, because that's your shared values. And couples Mm -hmm. always do better when they are investing in something, children, household, community. I don't care what it is. It's just not talking about each other all the time. Something that we are building together. So anytime you have that shared vision, it, it rockets them out into another direction. Mm. That's so cool. So post kids, what do you find that people are like these successful couples that are coming to therapy and doing the good work? What does that look like for the post-babyhood relationship? Oh, it's a lot of fun. They really do. They tend to have a lot of fun kind of fighting the fun in their relationship again. And especially, like I said, it's not like the people who are really fun is when they really kind of get out of those breastfeeding great, like they're in the grade school years, right? Right. They're not yet into the empty nest years, right? They still have kids. They're still having fun. They're still young and energetic. So we've got, we've still got all of these positives. 
we just have a little bit more space for the us. And so it's still just kind of building all of those intersects at the same time. You and me, me and the kids, me and that kid, you and that, like really still allowing the space for all of that rich, engrossing relationships. So that's kind of what it kind of looks like. But it's that falling in love with your life again really makes you fall in love with your partner again. And when you fall in love with your partner again, Lots of fun, sexy time almost always just follows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the natural progression of right. I don't usually have many interventions after that. It's like I do have some and I've got a whole area of work I can do. But like for probably the first two years of sex therapy that I did, I never even touched that drawer because all of that just worked for the couples who were coming to me at that point. It wasn't until well later that I'm like, oh, I do have to use this drawer. There are some specialized stuff here, but more times than not, you get the magic flowing again you have the sex coming it's magic so how do you how do you have that I'm I'm fascinated by this idea of like men reaching out and saying like I would love to come have this conversation because I like you know have talked with some of my close friends before and like one of them has always said like well why don't you guys like would you ever go do that and I was like yeah I would but I'm trying to imagine saying to my husband, like, hey, I think we should go and do like either one of like mm-hmm. either couples therapy or sex therapy. Not because there's anything like wrong. I don't but like, what if it could be but bam. Right. right like, you know, but like above and beyond. What if it could be better than? Yeah. And so I just like and and maybe it's because like I have like more experience like doing therapy stuff. So for me I'm just like I love this. Like I love digging into this and I'm, you know, I'm like totally down to get into it. But it's like how do you how do you like gently bring that up in a way where it's like, hey, we're not like at a breaking point. Like there's nothing, this is not me saying like, I want to, like, I'm thinking about divorcing you or I wish I hadn't married you. It's none of those things. It's just, I feel like we need help navigating this relationship so or this conversation. To, so the big thing you go back to is really and truly what's in it for him that he actually cares about. What Mm -hmm. is really significant and meaningful for him? A lot of men, it's just sex, right? That's a great example. That's why sex therapy, that's why I get it. It's just easy. But so with that one, it's the sense of like, they just care enough and not even in this like, oh, I need to, you know, have an orgasm way. No, I'm married to this woman who I love. And I just want to experience that closeness with her again. I mean, it's very sweet when these guys reach out. It's, It's very like, it like renews my sense of goodness in men and humanity right I'm like no this is a guy who loves his wife and just wants to show her (laughs) and he right it's very sweet so so I I go back to what does he care about and if it's not like if your guys' sex life is already really great but he doesn't feel like he gets enough time with his buddies to go fishing okay so what would that mean like I really I hear that you really want to have more time for this What I worry about is I don't know how to help you get there. I don't know how we could create that time. But I'd like to go talk to somebody who I bet could help us figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, because I really, I know this is important to you. It's just when I think of you leaving me with the kids, it just makes me feel devastated. And I don't know what to do. But again, I bet we could solve it. So you just, what's in it for him authentically? What does he care enough Mm -hmm. about? Mm -hmm. Totally. I think I could, I could see that. I feel like Angie's gears are turning. <laughs> I mean, Jess and I have 
like we've specifically talked about like whether because like I said I'm gonna go to therapy until I'm dead like that's just (laughs) something that like I need as a human being Kristen sits there for an hour while I word vomit all of my stuff and then she helps me navigate it and then I'm like all right see you see you next (laughs) month and it feels great and I want that for Jesse, but like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like, I just don't, he's like, I don't feel like spilling my guts to a stranger makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I don't trust that person. They don't know our story. Mm-hmm. And so I think I do have a little bit of a unique situation that Kristen, like we met at into my entry of motherhood and we have known each other for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a relationship prior to a therapist relationship. And so when you feel resistance, how is there a secret way to talk him into it? <laughs> well, and I go back to, again, the same thing. What does he care enough about? But it's also, it's kind of letting him just like what you have done with your husband is what I would normally say. You just normalize it. You let him see what you get out of it. You sometimes have to look for like, like I, you know, I look at personality styles and types and what a different, you know, what kind of person are you and who do you need as a therapist? Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who's really introverted is not going to do well with somebody who's really, you know, jumping on couches. You got to kind of find that energy that balances yours. So it can be tricky, but the doorway in is usually they care enough about the thing that they're willing to try. And then usually with couples, I do kind of look at who I think is the more reluctant partner. And I try to kind of help them see what they can get out of it as a therapist. I would venture that's probably a pretty common technique is, okay, this person's not invested in it yet. Let me show them what I might be able to, you know, failing, I guess, you know, showing them what you might be able to give them. Right. And so it's, it's really, I think just that the other thing is honestly, if you know of other couples who have had it, it's kind of like using a doula, right? You ever want to convince somebody to use a doula, talk to a dad who used a doula. Right. Same thing. Like, like my biggest spokespeople are always people who've done the couples counseling. Those are the dudes who cannot stop talking about it ever. They will tell everybody who has ever come in their existence about how sex therapy saved their marriage. They have no shame about it when they're, when they have it. So it might just be kind of finding the networks who've had success with it too. That's cool. Okay. So Caitlin, you got any more questions? No. I want to, so like, wrapping things up what is like the biggest I don't know if it would be piece of advice but yeah I mean maybe the biggest piece of advice that you can give couples on maintaining a healthy relationship while dealing with the mental load you know I love that question and the thing that I immediately thought of as you were asking was you got to remember what your essence is right like what is your guys's core thing and getting back to that, like, like, I know this is a good human who wants good things for me. I know what their character is. I've seen them in season, right? And, and trusting that, leaning into that and knowing that, like, okay, this is a person I can say hard things to. And I trust that, yeah, they might overreact. They might go crazy. That is okay. Can they get themselves regulated enough, quickly enough, that then they can have that you know responsible conversation? Do you trust in the you, the me, the us enough to do that? If you do, you just do the stuff. You do the hard stuff. If you don't, then then that's kind of the sense of how come. 
can we work on that? What would that look like? How do we explore how to strengthen those areas? But most of the time when I ask people that question and they really kind of slow down and they, they, they like, they usually, they'll, like, they'll close their eyes. They kind of take a breath and they're like, yeah, we're good. We have a good core. That's the part that I know is good. Then let's lean into that and trust in that. Because if you do more times than not, it guides you very nicely. I love that. Well, thank you so, so much, Kristen, for being with us today. We so appreciate it. Um, if you want to let people know how they can find more information about you or your services, please go ahead and do that. Uh, sure. You can find me um, on the internet. Just uh, I think it's omahabutterfly.com. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Um, Don't forget to subscribe now that the trailer is live. It's so exciting. I already texted a bunch of coworkers and was like, oh, yeah. Hey, look, look, look. look." Here's three minute preview. Here's my three minute preview. Please listen. But yes, we appreciate your time, Kristen, and we will see everybody next week. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.